Last week we uh, started looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, that four names that are given to the promised king who is coming, the heir of David. We're taking these four weeks leading up to, to Christmas, each week looking at one of those names as we seek to anticipate and hope and prepare our hearts and our thinking uh, during this time of season of looking forward to the coming of, uh, of Jesus, uh, both as we look back on his first coming, but also as we look forward and hope and anticipate his second coming. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus as the wonderful counselor, uh, for, and we used uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as a passage to look and see how Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Uh, this morning, we are going to look at Jesus as my God. Remember where we're getting this from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, This isn't, as we saw last week, just one long name. I mean, when Jesus came, we weren't walking around saying, Oh, there's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like he was somebody with 20 names, like Ian. Um, (laughs) But... These are, are names that, that give us and uh, help to identify and orient our thinking uh, to the character and work of Jesus in the world. And so what does it mean that when this promised one comes, that he will be the mighty God? Uh, this morning we are going to be in uh, the book of Mark, which is in the New Testament. Uh, Mark is giving us his account uh, of the life and teachings of Jesus. Most people understand that Mark is, is relating to us the eyewitness account of Peter, of what Jesus did and said and taught while he was on this earth. We're going to look in Mark chapter 4. I think this passage will help give us understanding and insight into what it means that Jesus is to be known as Mighty God. So if you would, look with me. It's Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It's on page 839, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. We're going to look at verses 35 through 41 together. So follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear 
and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that You have accomplished all the work that the Father gave You to do. Making Him known in the world. Revealing Yourself to the apostles that continue to pass on through their writings the good news of Jesus who has entered into our world. We thank You that You're still at work through the power of Your Spirit making Yourself known through your scriptures. We pray and ask this morning that you would do that. That all that we would encounter this morning is the truth of who Jesus is. Please do that, we pray. Amen. Uh, Kids, if you, this morning, instead of keeping track of words, how about if you draw me a picture? There's some pretty cool stuff that happens in this, uh, in this account from Jesus' life. So if on your sermon notes, if you, while you're, you're listening, if on the back or in the inside of the worship guide you want to draw me a picture, um, bring it to me after the, uh, after the service. For the rest uh, of us, and you know, kids, as you're listening and you're drawing, what, what we want to do is we approach this passage. I think a good way to understand it is to, to look at there's, there's several questions that are asked in this passage. The disciples ask a question, um, and, and then uh, Jesus asks a question, and then the disciples ask a question again. So what we want to do is, is go back and look at, at those questions. Um, the, but I want to start with the, the, the last question that's asked, because I think it's this last question by the disciples It helps us understand the big point of what this passage is about. Notice their question at the very end, verse 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? It's a very important question. In fact, it's something that all of us, an answer that we need to have and understand. Jesus would actually ask a question similar to this to his disciples later. Who do you say that I am? Because the scriptures are clear. If we get Jesus wrong, we get it all wrong. Who who is this? It's interesting what brings this question up in the onto the, the minds and the mouths of the disciples. He said they've been, Jesus had been preaching and teaching all day. Uh, they're getting this boat to, to travel across uh, the, the sea um, for a time of rest, to get away from the, the crowds. You've got to remember who Jesus' followers were. Many of them were fishermen. There was a tax collector, a zealot, a few other people we we don't really know what their vocation was. Uh, but notice, notice what happens. Verse 35 again. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And notice what it tells us. 
in verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And it goes down and it tells us that these disciples had great fear. So understand that. Here is a, a group of men who most of them had experience on the water. This is what their job was. These storms that came up on these, uh, the seas in the area were, were not abnormal. They would have encountered this frequently. It would have been understandable if the tax collector out on this boat had been afraid when a storm came up. But these fishermen? It points us that, that, that this, this windstorm and what is going on is significant enough to drive terror and fear even in these very experienced watermen. But notice, notice what Jesus does. They wake him up and he just speaks. He says, peace, be still, rebuking the wind and the waves. And notice, notice what happens. Remember what we saw before, the way that it was described in verse 37, there was a great windstorm. And notice, after Jesus speaks, the wind ceases in verse 39, and there was a great calm. As great and horrible and magnificent as this storm was, Jesus speaks, and it is equally great and calm and peaceful throughout all of the sea immediately. We have people here who have experienced time on the water. Even if you don't get in a boat, you recognize and realize here driving around town, when a storm comes up, the, wa- the waves in, in the, the water here in the harbor, it gets choppy. But the sky could be clear after the storm blows through, but it still takes a while for the waves and things to, to calm down. But here... We're not talking about, and then a few hours later, sometimes I play this game with our kids where the older ones have gotten onto it, but Harris still thinks I have these magical powers. We'll pull up to to the stoplight, and I'll uh, look at the other ones, where ours is red, and I'll look over the ones on the side that he can't see, and when the other one turns yellow, I'll wait just a little bit, and I'll go, turn green, and it'll turn green. Is that my powers? No, this observant. There's no possible way that Jesus was watching the horizon and seeing, oh, this is about to blow over. I'm going to get him right now. No, something else is going on. He speaks and creation listens. Do you know anyone like this? When's the last time you called a plumber to fix a leaky faucet in your house? He shows up, no tools. Just his mouth. What are you here to do? What to fix your water problems? He walks in. Be still, faucet. Stop your dripping. Have you, have, you, have you ever encountered that? What about during hurricane season? Announce that a storm's coming. Most people evacuate and leave or batten down the hatches. Have you ever heard anybody say, no, we don't do that around here. Call up Bob. Send him down to the Outer Banks. And he'll just say, hey, Irene, turn around, please. 
Go back out into the Atlantic. We don't want you here. Has that ever happened? No. Because no one can speak and control a drop of water, much less a great storm. What's going on here? Well, the Scriptures must help us interpret who this is. And what do we see throughout the Scriptures as we we look back? Who is it that is able to speak and creation respond and listen and act and obey? Think back to Genesis 1. Who is it? Let there be light and there was light. Let there be dry land, there was dry land. Let there be water, there was water. Let there be creatures, there are creatures. God is the one who speaks and creation responds and obeys. Think about later. Later in Genesis, with, with God's punishment on the, the world, He is the one who brings up the great storms and great flood to to cleanse and judge the earth. And then again, He is the one who, through His intention and His words, bring about the end of that flood and stop it. Or later, when Moses is leading the people out of, out of Egypt, they come up to the edge of the Red Sea. And God is the one who speaks to Moses and says, I want you to stick your hand out over the sea. And it says, and then God is the one who parted the sea. And then God tells Moses, stick your hand back out. And then God is the one who brought the sea. It's clear throughout Scripture, God is the one who has this power, this ability, this might. In fact, in one of the Psalms, in Psalm 107, in some ways it's kind of surprising uh, that these followers of Jesus, who would have been very familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures, would not have brought this psalm to mind and thought, we're in the middle of this psalm. Listen to what it says. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, His wondrous works in the deep. Remember we talked about this last week. He's a wonderful counselor. That idea of things that are wondrous or wonderful in the Old Testament are speaking about acts and works that belong to God alone. His wondrous works in the deep, for He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, And He delivered them from their distresses. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Who is it? Who is this then? That the wind and the wind and the waves obey Him. The Scriptures are clear. It is our mighty God. For only God can speak and creation listens and responds and obeys. 
here as we're encountering Jesus very early in his earthly ministry, it is clear that he is evidencing the fact that the mighty God has come to be with his people. Jesus is no mere man. He is our mighty God. Well, that's true. If, if Jesus is our mighty God, that causes us to really in, investigate and think again about the first question the disciples asked. Look, look back at their, their question. Remember, the, the waves are, are, are roaring, the wind's blowing. In verse 37, it tells us the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling with water. But look what it says in verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you care? It's a significant question. Maybe you've had it yourself, wondering what you're experiencing, whether God cares what is going on. Here, they look over at Jesus. He's asleep. Maybe at first the question is, could be, here we are bailing all the water out of the boat. Why are you over there sleeping? We need your help. Don't you care that we're perishing? Or that Jesus just seems to be unconcerned. He's over there taking a nap while the rest of them are, are going nuts. Don't you realize how desperate and dire this situation and circumstance is? Don't you care what is going on? But, but think about it now from the perspective of knowing this is the mighty God who is in your boat. Do you not care that we're perishing? What is the mighty God doing? Asleep. Why would the mighty God be asleep? Why would he bring us into this difficult and dangerous and scary situation and circumstance? completely outside of our control. If, if I wondered whether Jesus cared before I understood that He's the mighty God, now I really have questions. Because wouldn't a good and loving and kind mighty God who had the ability, it's clear, to stop the storm? The Scriptures also tell us He's the one who brought it up. Jesus intentionally brings us into this hard and difficult situation and circumstance. Why? Does he not care? I think the fact that Jesus is asleep actually helps us answer the question of whether he cares or not. Here, uh, I mean... The scriptures, though, there's, we looked at this psalm a couple of years ago. Psalm 121 describes 
the truth of God's protection and His presence with His people. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Tells us God doesn't need to to sleep. He doesn't need to rest. He's never laying down on the job. Even as we think back to Genesis 1, when God creates all things, He rests on the seventh day. Not because He's tired and He needs a nap. It's because He's there to enjoy and delight in all that He's created. Yet here, what's Jesus done? He's preached for a day. He didn't just finish creating the world. You preached for a day. Now, I understand. That can be tiring. I take a nap too. But I'm just a man. Are you not supposed to be the mighty God? What is going on here? Well, remember, Isaiah actually gives us insight into this. Back in chapter 9, what we read earlier, remember how it began? As Isaiah is proclaiming and speaking to us about the realities of this promised one who had come and bring this forever kingdom and bring an end to suffering and struggle and the, uh, the attacks of our enemies. What does he say in verse 6? For to us, a child is born. Gods aren't born. Humans are born. Yet what Isaiah is telling us, when this promised one comes, it will be a human, but who is the mighty God? Our God is going to take on flesh. What we see here is we look over and wonder, why is Jesus asleep? It's because the mighty God's taken on flesh. He is truly God. Yes, we see that. Peace be still. And there's great calm. We also see He is truly man. For He necessitates rest. See, there's even greater implications to the fact that our mighty God would take on flesh. It's going to result in more than just He needs a nap after preaching for the day. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians about Jesus taking on flesh and becoming our mighty God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to, to be clung to, and saying, this is mine and I'm not giving it up. He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Does Jesus care that we're perishing? 
Does he not care about the struggles that I'm facing? About how I'm attacked and overwhelmed by my own sin and the sin of others? Does he not care about the persecution that his people are, are facing and struggling? Does he not care about the difficulties that I'm experiencing in my life? About the loss of this friend or this diagnosis that I just had? And we look over at the sleeping God-man... And the answer is yes, he cares. Do you know why he's asleep? Because he's taken on flesh. Do you know why he took on flesh? Because he loves you so much. He cares that you're perishing. And he came to do something about it. To suffer and die on a cross. To be rejected by men. To suffer in your place and mine that we might experience redemption and salvation and forgiveness and the coming of His kingdom. When we look at the sleeping Jesus on the boat and we recognize and realize that this is the mighty God, we have the answer to our question. Does He care? And the answer is overwhelmingly yes. You don't understand how much I care about you, Jesus would say. In the midst of the storms that we're facing, in the midst of the struggles that we have, it's hard and difficult, isn't it? To respond rightly to the truth and the reality that Jesus is the mighty God and remembering and believing that He cares. It's important that we respond rightly. Notice, the disciples struggle to do that very thing. Notice the, the question Jesus asks them. He says, Peace, be still. The winds cease, and there was a great calm. Notice what he says in verse 40. He says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus here is inviting the disciples to consider and recognize who he is. And what does that mean for them? What does that mean for them in this moment? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, fear is a challenge to faith. It seems like the, the solution and the answer to the struggle of fear is trusting and resting, having faith in Jesus. But the disciples struggle with that. You notice their response? Jesus says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? What's their response? Look at verse 40, 41. They were filled with great fear. Remember, we've seen that word, that language used up, used consistently through this passage. There was this huge and great storm. Jesus brings about a great calm. And then what's their response? Great fear. This isn't a fear of, oh, wow, I'm amazed in the presence of this great one. These guys are terrified still. 
They don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. The categories that they're experiencing right now are blowing their minds. And instead of this bringing to them a deep sense of peace and comfort, a place to rest and abide, they are still afraid. Understanding really and truly who Jesus is as the mighty God who has taken on flesh and entered into our world and who is present with his people should bring us a sense of comfort. We continue to have these questions. We may know and be able to say, yeah, I know. Jesus the second person of the Trinity. He's God who has taken on flesh. But do we struggle still to believe and rest and trust in that when the waves are overwhelming us? When the boat's filling up and the circumstances that this mighty God who loves you has brought you in to struggle to understand and rest and trust in Him? Notice Jesus didn't give any of them the option. He didn't say, hey guys, let me let you know what's going on. We're getting ready to get in this boat and the biggest storm you've ever experienced in your life is what we're going to encounter as we go through. It's okay. You're going to be super scared. You're not going to be able to do anything about it. But guess what? I'll be with you. If I was given the option, you know what I would have done? I'd have stayed on the shore. No, thank you, Jesus. I, I would rather just believe you that you are enough Instead of having to go in the middle of a situation where I have to find out that you really are all that I need. I am still one who is full of fear and little faith. But notice what Jesus is saying. I am with you. Did they have anything to fear? No. The mighty God is the one who is present with them in the midst of all that they're going through. Jesus is bringing them through this tough and difficult storm that they are facing so that they can realize in the midst of it how great he is as something that would strengthen their faith that they would know. Jesus is the mighty God and he's with me. Right now, Many of us are still questioning and wondering and struggle with those same questions of the disciples. Do you care? What does it mean for you and for me to know that Jesus, the one who has promised to be with us, the one who has taken on flesh to suffer and die and redeem and save us, has brought each and every one of us into the situations and circumstances that we're facing and struggling right now. Does Jesus care in light of the, the diagnosis that you've just gotten from your doctor? Or does Jesus care about the diagnosis that you haven't gotten because you don't know what's going on? The mighty God has taken on flesh and He's with you. Do not fear. I love you and I'm with you. What about the upcoming move? 
You're getting orders to who knows where. Probably the last choice you wanted on your list. What happens when your dream sheet is your nightmare sheet? Does God not care? Does he not know what's going on in my life? Does he not know I've found what I need here? Or does he not know I really wanted to go to this place because that is what I needed and I'll feel safe and secure and comfortable there? Do you not care? And Jesus just speaks and says, Hey, I'm the mighty God. I've taken on flesh to enter in and be present with my people. And I am still present with you. There is nowhere that you go as hard and as difficult and as scary as it might be that I, the mighty God, will not be with you and I will be enough. What happens if you have to change schools next year and none of your friends are there? You feel like you're alone and isolated and no one to talk to, no one to spend time with. Yet, your mighty God says, I love you, And I am with you. Is Jesus enough? What about in the midst of our financial struggles? When the debt is what is overwhelming us. And the bills are swamping up and they're filling the boat. Why would you bring me here, Jesus? Do you not care? Do you not care that I'm perishing? Do you not care that I can't make this next bill? Do we doubt God's goodness? Let's think about the debt that He's covered and canceled for us that was canceled on the cross. The mighty God took on flesh to suffer and die. There will be things that we encounter in our lives that will cause us to question and wonder whether He cares. Remember what the Scriptures say. Jesus is the mighty God who cares so much that He took on flesh and became a man to die and suffer for you. He loves you. Fear not. Trust in your mighty God who has come to redeem you and will be with you until that redemption is fully accomplished. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you are our mighty God. We thank you that our mighty God took on flesh, was born as a baby, and died as the innocent and righteous one. Turn our hearts from fear to faith that we might rest in Jesus, our mighty God. Amen.